What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. From the Rose City in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, we are bringing you the latest updates in regenerative and stem cell medicine from around the world. It's Pain-Free and Strong Radio with Dr. Tina Moore. Hi, you guys. Welcome to Pain-Free and Strong Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Tina Moore, and my guest today is my good friend, Karan Krishnan. He is the Chief Scientific Officer of Microbiome Labs. You may be familiar with him as he's been on several times before on the Pain-Free and Strong podcast, and he is a generous, um, you're, you're a sponsor. <laughs> so I'm so happy to have you here, Karan. We are going to talk all things uh, H2 receptors and coronavirus and gut health and uh, LPS and how it all ties together. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. What a, um, I've gotten to do, um, spend a lot of time hanging out with you during this whole crisis. So that's one side benefit of all of this. <laughs> it's good. We can put our, it's, it's fun because like I come up with smarty pant questions and I can't quite unravel it and then I ask you and you help me. So that's what we're going to do today. Yeah, um, I and I, so I went viral with a video a week ago, over a week ago, and it is up to almost 350,000 views now. And it was wow. when I had just figured out that the H2 receptor was the binding site for the coronavirus. And all I did was share that information. I didn't say what that meant. I just shared it out. Um, but what I had read suggested that being on a ACE inhibitor, some a commonly prescribed um, high blood pressure drug like lisinopril might be not a great idea right now. Although I didn't totally understand why I just shared the information and it went bonkers and I've been getting a ton of questions and I can't unravel it all. So I, cause I keep reading high levels are good. Low levels are good. High levels are here. Low levels are here. And so I thought, well, I will invite on the smartest guy. No, <laughs> <laughs> we can put this together. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So um, tell the audience a little bit more about you. Yeah. So I'm a research microbiologist with a, of course a big focus on, how do we use and understand microbes to, to help us with chronic illness? Uh, chronic illness really being the, the focus. It's all about building resilience, uh, building the ability to, to handle life's uh, stresses, whether it's emotional, food, environmental, whatever it may be, um, you know, and, and really just focusing on the education part um, and trying to be as supportive as I can of the uh, preventative side of, of medicine and, and the uh, functional side of medicine and providing support and education in that whole area. So, and I also do a lot of clinical research. Uh, we've got something like 22 trials going on right now. So a lot of work going on to try to figure out all this stuff about how to make us healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Yeah. Well, you're a smart dude. You distill the information down in a great way, and you have a very kind heart. So, Thank you. Yes, the audience is in for a treat as always. So we were talking beforehand. Um, can you reiterate this? I'm confused. So I would assume, let's just say I'm the general public, and I would assume that if the virus is binding the ACE2 receptor, first we should probably describe what that is in the renin-angiotensin system, but um, I would assume if there's more receptors present, there's more risk of getting infected and dying. That would be like the general assumption. So can you break all that down? <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's really important to note because, um, you know, viruses, obviously they don't have their own replication machinery. Um, unlike a bacteria that can replicate on its own if the environment is suitable for it. 
um, meaning the temperature, the food source, and all that is there. Bacteria will replicate through logarithmic, logarithmic uh, replication and become from one become billions in a short period of time. Viruses have to hijack cellular systems in order to replicate themselves because they can't do that themselves. So virtually every virus in the world has some sort of cellular target that it uses to go and bind to and then insert its, its DNA into the cell to take over the cell's replication machinery. So it's a hijacking system. Um, this particular virus, like other coronaviruses, use the ACE2 receptor. Um, with that, that is pretty abundant with lots of different tissue. So there's a couple of interesting reasons why the virus would use the ACE2 receptor, which we can get into. Number, but one of them is that it's relatively abundant. We, are, we now know that the ACE2 receptor is on, on cardiac muscles. It basically lines all of your vascular system. Uh, it's in the lung tissue. It's in the gut. Um, and so these receptors are very abundant. So it gives the virus a lot of different areas it can infect depending on how it enters your body, right? Um, number two, it also illustrates those that are going through a weakening of the system because ACE2 is going to increase in expression based uh, on response to trying to uh, fix damage in the body. So anytime there's damage in the body, that means that part of the body is uh, weakened and the ACE2 receptor is a signal for a weakened part of the body. It's no different than physical damage that we might be familiar with to our skin or a joint. If you get damage in the joint, there's all of this remodeling tissue that goes on like matrix metalloproteinases and all these things that indicate that there's damage there and that joint is weak, right? When that joint is weak, if you had an adversary that knows that, they will take advantage of that weak joint. So this is the exact same. It's biological warfare, if you will. We've got a virus that's figured out that if this, this receptor is being expressed at high levels, it means there's some damage going on there, and that system is weak, and I'm going to get in there and take over the machinery. Um, and then we can talk about why it's expressed and when it's expressed. But that's the basic premise, is the virus is looking for a target, and it's looking for the easiest target and an abundant target, and that's what it's found in the ACE2 receptor. Now, what is the ACE2 receptor? Let's talk about that for a second. It is a membrane-bound uh, enzyme. So it's a, it's a, and then all enzymes are proteins, right? So it's a, it's a protein, but it's also an enzyme, but it's membrane-bound, meaning it's stuck on a cell. So enzymes in your body will typically float around and do their catalytic work. They'll find their substrate or their target, they'll latch onto it, and they'll change it in some way. This happens to be a membrane-bound enzyme whose job is similar to other enzymes where it breaks up proteins and peptides in some way, but it does it so sitting on a cell. And for that reason, it can, it can mark cells with that target site for the virus. Okay. Okay. So ACE2 is actually anti-inflammatory and anti-fibrotic. Yeah. I, okay. Exactly. It decreases in chronic disease is also what I've read in the studies. Is that correct? It can. So then the more and more expression of ACE2 you have, the more tissue remodeling you have, the less you're going to end up expressing it down the road, right? So, but ACE2 is supposed to be an acute receptor, meaning it's not that it's expressed and always there. It's, it's being expressed in response to injury. So think of it as the thing that, you know, if you cut your skin, then you get a scab that's formed, right? And then the, the scab coming off uh, re, uh, puts your skin back to how it's supposed to be because you don't want to have a scab sitting on your skin forever. You want the scab to come off and you want your skin to go back to normal. So ACE1 and the whole angiotensin-renin system forms the scab. ACE2's job is to kind of remove the scab. Uh, that's kind of the idea of the internal tissue. Um, when internal tissue gets damaged, like the lining of the vessel, then your RAS system, the renin-angiotensin system, upregulates. That tells the cells in that area that, hey, we need to repair this damage that's going on here. And then you start getting the, hypo the, the cellular hypertrophy to start to repair, and then the fibrosis that comes in that wants to repair. But if too much of that repair happens, then it's going to shut off the function 
of that tissue. And this is especially seen in the vascular tissue, where if you get too much um, ACE remodeling going on, then you lose compliance and the vessels become stiffer and stiffer and stiffer, so they can no longer expand as your body needs to pump uh, oxygen and blood through the system. So all of that remodeling and repair that constantly happens actually makes it less and less functional. Same thing happens in the, in the um, alveoli and the uh, pneumocytes in the lungs. Over time, as your lungs get more and more damaged, let's say you're a smoker, every time you inhale that smoke, it's causing damage to the tissue. The tissue upregulates the fixing mechanism. And if that keeps going on and on, then you'll get fibrosis around the alveoli and the alveoli, the air sacs can no longer expand to fill up with air. So ACE2 is there to go, hey, that's enough fibrosis. That's enough fixing. Let's stop it so that we don't lose functionality of these organ systems, right? So, so if you're a smoker and you're constantly creating that damage, ACE2 is constantly being expressed in order to try to prevent the, the, the repair associated damage. And then that, that just so happens to provide a, a receptor site for the virus. Got it. Okay. Okay. This makes sense. So let's jump to ACE inhibitors and their potentiality of upregulating the receptors. You, you did mention it earlier, but can you describe how that's happening and why being on an ACE inhibitor might not be a good idea for real? Yeah. So uh, this, what the studies have shown is that what the ACE inhibitor does is it, it actually inhibits ACE1 or they call it just ACE. So ACE1 and ACE2 are antagonistic systems. Um, there's, a, there's a protein uh, that's released called angiotensin. ACE1 activates that angiotensin so that we can start the process of tissue remodeling and fibrosis, right? ACE2 competes with that same protein and inactivates it, essentially. So there is supposed to be a balance here between these two mechanisms. One is a repair uh, but too much repair will lead to dysfunction. And the other is regulating the amount of repair that occurs. Now, what, what they found over two decades ago is that if ACE1 is allowed to continue to operate, you're going to get chronic remodeling of the vessels, and then you start losing function of the vessels. So the drug was designed to stop ACE1, so it cannot activate the angiotensin peptide, which will drive remodeling. The problem with that is when you stop ACE1, it actually increases the number of ACE2, this feedback inhibition between the two. Because what the body thinks when you inhibit ACE1 with, with a chemical that comes and binds in the active site, the body thinks like, holy crap, I've got a whole bunch of ACE1 uh, that's, that's bound by the peptide. I need to increase ACE2 to match it. Right? So as you're continuously binding up ACE1, ACE2 levels start to increase, and that provides more binding sites of the virus in this case. So that's where this idea that ACE inhibitors at this point, uh, for somebody who is very susceptible to the, to the viral infection, may not be a good idea because it's increasing the number of, of uh, receptor sites of the virus. Got it. Okay. Phew, I'm so glad I had you on again because we talked and did an Instagram live the other day and I thought I understood it, but you know how it goes. It's like you start reading. Mm -hmm. there's so, so much of this is negative feedback and yep. then there's positive <laughs> feedback loops and it's just like, where am I in the in the chart, you know? And, and, they, and they use terms interchangeably, <laughs> right? So they will use um, ACE, ACE2, they will refer to it as a protein, they will refer to it as an enzyme and then you're thinking, wait, it's a receptor, but is it an enzyme also? You know, so it becomes confusing in the literature when you start reading it. Um, but ACE2 and ACE1 both are enzymes. They are receptors and they are proteins. They are all of those things. And they're, and they're acute phase. They're not supposed to be chronically expressed. Um, these are acute responses to damage. The problem is when we have chronic illness, we have constant damage. So they're constantly expressed and constantly functioning. Yes. So that was my next question. Can we talk about how something I have been very concerned about? I feel like you have been as well. And I have discussed this on different uh, short videos I've done. I am worried about North America because we have a very particular health crisis on our hands and other countries that are being obliterated by this don't seem to have the same level of problem. And, and I mean, chronic inflammation, chronic degenerative conditions, chronic lifestyle induced conditions. Um, can we talk about that and why this virus really hasn't seen North America and what, why we might want to be concerned? I'm not trying to put fear yeah. into people. I just, I want to 
talk about the facts and the truth. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one is we may start to see, and we're already seeing changes in the demographic data of who this virus is impacting as the virus moves west from, from the predominantly Asian countries to the Western world, right? So, and we're seeing that. I mean, uh, New York recently reported that I think 53% of the positive symptomatic cases that they're getting are people between 18 and 49. So it's no longer an old person disease, right? More than half of the people that are getting sick from this are in the 18 to 49 category. And they've also recently reported that something about 26% of the hospitalized severe cases are people in that younger demographic, right? So it's not just, oh, you know, grandma and great grandma and grandpa are going to get it and then they're going to be in trouble and I'm fine because I'm young and, and healthy. No, it's it, as it moves west because of what it targets, it actually expands the, the, the parts of the population that it can make really sick. You know, and I have firsthand knowledge of uh, a 45 year old, somebody I know whose coworker it is, um, who tested positive for the, for the virus um, early last week and uh, because he started having symptoms and, and was, was passed away in six days, right? 45 year old. Um, and then there's, there's also first-hand knowledge on two Ironman triathletes in the 30s who are now in intensive care from the virus. And so it's not just a condition of the elderly and nursing homes. It's becoming more and more prevalent in younger people, um, including a 12-year-old in, um, I think, Tennessee or somewhere in the south, that's, or Georgia, that's right now on life support fighting for her life, trying to breathe. Uh, and that's a 12-year-old with no pre-existing conditions. The reason I think, and this is hypothesis, we haven't, we don't have a whole lot of data on this, is because it targets um, the virus targets this receptor, which is indicative of inflammation and tissue damage on the inside. In the U.S., we have younger and younger populations with this type of chronic tissue damage, right? Think about the number of young people we have that are asthmatic. It's an epidemic in our children. Think about the number of young people we have that are autoimmune. Um, and autoimmune people have the chance of having more of a negative response to this virus because your immune response of how your immune system responds to the virus is part of where the severity comes from. Um, you know, we have people with metabolic syndrome, the obesity epidemic, obese individuals, diabetic people, people with blood, blood sugar dysfunction, all are at much higher risk. We've got a large population in that 18 to 49 range that are more chronically ill from a metabolic syndrome perspective. So all of these, we have, you know, smokers and we've got, uh, you know, recreational drug users, and we don't know how much all those things impact our inflammatory pathways. I mean, in our study that we did in healthy young college students, these are considered healthy normals by the FDA because they have no chronic illness. 55% uh, of them had severe leaky gut every time they ate food. And they had like a six-fold increase in systemic inflammation just from eating food. And, and so all of those things seem to play a factor in how susceptible we are as a population. And it kind of illuminates our susceptibilities and our weaknesses. Yes, yeah, so we are a very particular population in mm -hmm. comparison to the rest of the world. And so when people are trying to, it's apples to oranges. When people are comparing our rates to Italy, I'm like, you guys, we're, we're, we're talking totally different kinds of humans here. Yep. I mean, really, and <clears throat> to the point of epigenetic and genetic changes over time too, you know, just we've been landlocked here in North America with a tainted food supply and T different toxicity levels, much different obesity rates than the rest of the world, although the world's catching up. But really, it's that underlying metabolic syndrome you spoke of. And in my book, you know, if you have metabolic syndrome, you what that means for the audience who doesn't know is that's essentially, you know, phase one diabetes, and mm -hmm. you walk around with it for five, 10, 15, 20 years before you get the magic number of diabetes on your lab results, just like yeah. So many people I know, I'm like, dude, you have diabetes. And they're like, no, I don't. And then 10 years later, guess what? I have diabetes. I'm like, yeah, I know. Those inflammatory changes are happening inside your kidneys and your liver and your heart and your retina and mm -hmm. everywhere else in your body that entire time that that blood sugar is dysregulated. So yeah. that's, that's, that is the case for many children in this country. 
there are massive amounts of children already presenting with frank diabetes, type two, uh, lifestyle induced, and even some of the heart disease pictures of adults. There's mm -hmm. children having the same chronic degenerative changes as children that we weren't seeing a decade or even a generation ago or a decade ago in adult. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. I mean, adult diseases. Right. I think, I think the statistics are that um, four to 10 Americans have at least one chronic illness, um, you know, that they're dealing with. And that's among all age brackets, um, which is, which is really quite disturbing. And then, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about in other podcasts before is all the gut dysfunctions that we see. Right. Yes. And, and that plays a very interesting role in this whole thing as well, because um, American Journal of Gastroenterology study that published last week showed that 53% of the COVID-19 positive cases present first with GI symptoms. And, yeah. and at least two studies so far have shown that the virus can be found quite readily in feces. So there's a fecal oral contamination route and also showing that the virus can grow and shed in the GI tract. And that may be one of the initial reservoirs for where the virus titers increase in your body, because we've got ACE2 receptors all along the, um, the endothelial uh, or the epithelial cells in our GI tract. And we know from all the stuff we've done in the past with inflammatory bowel issues and SIBO and uh, food sensitivities and all that, that there's so much prevalence of damage in the gut lining among young people. Um, and so all of those things increase susceptibility to something like this. Uh, but once we're done and gone through this pandemic, which I still feel very confident we will be, um, just how long it's going to take us is a question. Um, it still leaves us with this, with this, you know, notion that we have to pay attention to that we're pretty sick as a population and, uh, and our resilience is low. And uh, we are very lucky that this particular virus is, um, despite being extremely contagious and infectious, is not extremely lethal, like other viruses in the corona family, like SARS was with a 16% mortality rate, or MERS, which is even scarier, with a 30% mortality rate. This one is shaking out to be around a 1% mortality rate, which is still way higher than the flu, but it's not as high as it could be with other coronaviruses, um, which means that you know, we really have an opportunity here to, to look at a dress rehearsal of the big scary pandemic that will likely come, come down the road, which is gonna be as contagious as this, but as lethal as some of the other coronaviruses. And then we're really gonna be in trouble. And if we aren't preparing ourselves and improving our resilience before that, we stand no chance. Yes, that is the sobering truth. So talk about LPS, because you just presented at a conference. We were both presenting at a conference. Uh, then we got to have breakfast, which was so fun. <laughs> um, you were the last person that I actually got to sit down with and have a meal with, because uh, yeah, after I left that, that conference, that was the last of my travel. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, since then, it's just been the Rugrats here in my house. So. Well, I'm sure they're <laughs> delighted to have their father home because I know you're out. At least for a couple of weeks, they are. So. Yeah, we'll all, get, we'll all get real tired of each other that we're locked up with here soon. But for now, it's like, feels like I'm having a sleepover. Um, okay, so talk about life. Of, you, you just, you presented some slides in that were mind-blowing. I was sitting there just going, and I, you know, I know all this because I've heard you say it so many times, but every time you present, you show new slides that just, dials this in. So can you yeah. say what it is? Why is it damaging? And how does it tie into this virus? Yeah, so LPS, lipopolysaccharide, is actually an endotoxin made by a large number of bacteria in our gut. Many of those bacteria are our normal commensal bacteria. Others are dysfunctional bacteria that tend to grow opportunistically um, when, when the environment is correct for it, uh, which so many things in our world allow for that to happen at a, at a high rate. Uh, but it's called an endotoxin because it's a toxin that's generated within. So we really can't get away from it like we could an exotoxin, which is one that comes in from the outside, like a mold toxin in your home or um, an environmental toxin somewhere near your work. You can get away from those toxins and it'll reduce the impact on you. This is a toxin that's constantly generated in your gut. It's called lipopolysaccharide. Now, the problem with lipopolysaccharide is if your gut is leaky and damaged and not healthy, then it's always leaking through uh, from, the, from the microbiome, which is in the lumen of the gut, 
through the intestinal lining into the circulation. Once it gets into the circulation, it just wreaks havoc on your system. So many of the chronic illnesses, I would, I would venture to say the vast majority of chronic illnesses that, that plague us in the Western world can be traced back to either being initiated by or perpetuated by the presence of LPS in your circulation. And that's all kinds of stuff. Everything under the metabolic syndrome spectrum, things like um, neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, where all everything under um, uh, immune dysfunctions like autoimmune disease, lupus, um, all of these things seem to be driven uh, in part by the presence of LPS. So then with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We started looking into recently, does LPS also impact angiotensin uh, ACE2 receptor sites? And, and, and the studies show that when LPS leaks through, enters into your circulatory system, one of the responses to try to negate the inflammatory process of LPS is an upregulation of ACE2. So ACE2 is trying to stop the damage that LPS is causing the system. And so it gets upregulated as part of the response to dealing with this influx of toxins into your system. And this is happening in healthy young people because in, our, in the study we published um, in 2017 on leaky gut, we did. Uh, we screened a hundred healthy, young, normal, normal college students. So, average age was like twenty-one or twenty-two, and these are people with no chronic illnesses. They weren't on any medication, so they were perfectly healthy with all respects. Um, you know, con- from the eyes of the FDA to the eyes of the general public, and we screened them for the amount of LPS in their serum, especially in response to a meal. And we found that fifty-five percent of them had subclinically. Um, dangerous levels of LPS in their circulatory system, which means that those same people, every time they ate food and LPS is allowed to leak through, actually get this huge inflammatory response in the body. And then to counteract that inflammatory response, ACE2 receptors are going up. That's happening in the U.S. population right now, right? So that highlights just another risk factor for younger people in this whole pandemic And then once the pandemic is gone, we can't forget about all this because that same risk factor is also driving every other chronic illness. Every other chronic illness. You guys go back and listen to episode 24 and episode 28 and episode 63. And we talk all about this. And as the only sponsor of my podcast, you guys have been so great. And we've been doing this for a few years now. We have an awesome webinar you can go to. If you go to painfreestrongradio.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page, there is a whole webinar Karan and I did about leaky gut and pain, but it applies to everything. I just want you guys to have these resources so you can binge listen to them and learn how important the LPS is and how damaging it is to our health. But in this particular situation, this is a big one, you know, and there's things that we can do. We talk about it all the time. Whenever Karan and I talk, you know, diet, lifestyle, sleep, stress reduction, all of those things. How you eat is so critical. How you, how you live and move is so critical. But then there's some targeted supplements that you guys have come up with. And mm-hmm. I think there's one thing I've always wanted to do is sit down with you and tell you what I was taking of your product line and, and have you explain it to me, which we did a little bit on episode 63. We kind of like buzzed through your new, yeah. newer products at the time. But so I, um, I, I don't know what I have, but I've been sick for three and a half weeks, four weeks almost. And I finally ended up on antibiotics the other day I'm on day seven. I'm starting to finally feel better. Um, 
I did. I do think I had a, I had a fever. <laughs> I've been quarantining myself, everybody just seen so you know, I have not, I've not seen my mother or my daughter in ages and I'm, I'm terribly saddened by it, but I had a fever. I had a cold and I had a fever and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then it, it, it went away and then it came back and turned and it went from terribly burning sinuses into gut stuff and into lung stuff. And I was like, who knows, who knows what I have, but this is what I've been taking and I want you to explain to everybody why I'm taking this, okay? <laughs> so obviously Megasporbiotic, which is yeah. your flagship product. Talk about yeah. that. So that's, that's the first and only probiotic shown in a clinical trial to stop the translocation of LPS from where it's not a problem, which is in the lumen of the intestine, to where it is a problem in the circulatory system. And then all of the inflammatory cascades that it turns on, and it turns on in a very dramatic fashion. Um, so that's the only thing so far with a published clinical trial that has been shown to be able to stop that cascade. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then the other um, reasons for the megaspore, uh, especially in going through the, the illness your, your body's trying to fight off, is that you know 80% of our immune tissue is in our gut. And the more diverse our microbiome is, the better off the immune tissue is in terms of its proliferation of T cells and B cells and all that. And we've been able to show with Megaspore and other uh, studies that it actually increases the diversity within your microbiome and brings down the expression of some of those problematic bacteria that not only make more LPS, but make other toxins as well. So we're kind of shifting and calming down what's happening in the gut, kind of helping your immune system function better, and then stopping that translocation of LPS. Yes, yes. Um, it's a good product, you guys. Go listen to the webinar we did, and there's also dosing suggestions. When you go to the webinar and you put your name and email in, you'll get sent a series of emails, and one of them gives you, just go slow and low. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Um, yeah. Slow and low. This mega IgG 2000, this, is yeah. saved, this saved my life this summer, by the way, but what, what, why am I taking that? Yeah, ph phenomenal product. Um, I, it's immunoglobulin, so it's a bovine immunoglobulin, meaning they get uh, these antibodies out of cows that have been you know, roaming around the pastures and all that, and so these cows, their immune system makes antibodies against all the kinds of stuff that, that we would encounter in the outside environment, you know, molds and bacteria and viruses and all this stuff that's out there. And then, and then what we do is we're able to um, concentrate those antibodies and then put them in a supplement. Now, what, what the studies have been shown, and that particular product's got about, I think, 13 or so published studies. Uh, what they were able to show is that those antibodies, of course, bind and neutralize all kinds of bacteria, bacterial toxins, viruses, uh, mold toxins, and so on in the gut, thereby reducing the toxicity in the gut quite significantly. But it also helps upregulate your own immune response to a number of targets that, that would be circulating around in your system. So you've got an upper respiratory infection, you've got an infection somewhere else in your body, you're counting on your immune system to respond to that. This IgG takes the load off of your immune system in the, in the gut where your immune system works the hardest. And then that provides support to the immune system to go through and, and uh, deal with things that are peripheral to the gut. Um, so they've done viral challenge studies, uh, of course, not on COVID-19. To be clear with that, they've done other viruses uh, where they've initiated viral infections in animal models, giving them the IgG shows how much better those animals' immune res responses are to those viral infections. Um, and then just neutralizing the toxins in, uh, that, that are coming in food and all that, all that just brings down the toxic load in your body so your body can function better. Awesome. Yeah, that's probably why this saved my life this summer. <laughs> this, saved my mother's, this saved my mother's life. My mom almost died of Crohn's this summer, and I pulled her out of it with uh, the use of exosomes and all of your products. Yeah. I, I, the IgG is one of the ones I never forget when I do all my traveling either. Just It's such an important product. Yeah. Next, I, now I, follow the, uh, I follow the directions on this, on this Mega oh, yeah. IgG. That's, that's what's on the bottle is what I take on this one. On the Mega Sporbiotic, like I said, go slow and low. Yeah. And then uh, the Mega Mucosal Powder. 
Yeah. So mega mucosa, um, extremely important. Now it does have one gram of the IgG in there. So you do get some more additional IgG. Couple of the other things that it has that are critically important. Number one, it has a very unique polyphenol mix. This polyphenol mix has been shown to lower the unfavorable immune responses like the super inflammatory overreactive part of the immune system. Um, it's been shown to be able to bring that down and kind of keep that under control and support a healthier immune response to things. So that's always beneficial because a lot of us tend to have immune systems that try to overreact uh, to things, including viral infections, you know? And so that's part of the problem with how your body responds to viruses. Um, the second part is there are these four critical amino acids that have studies behind them that show that these amino acids are the build, uh, building blocks of the mucus layer in your digestive tract. The mucus layer is so important to act as a barrier between toxins like LPS and other things that enter your body from, from entering into your circulatory system. It also is the site where everything is sampled and then your immune system decides how to respond to it. So that physical mucosal structure is made up of four critical amino acids and those amino acids are found in the uh, clinically relevant doses in the mega mucosa. Uh, and then, of course, the, the IgG component as well. So just those three things alone, uh, the amino acids, the polyphenols, and the IgG together just give you kind of a daily refurbishing of your gut lining, a dampening of um, unfavorable type of immune responses, and allows that barrier that you need in your intestinal lining to be rebuilt every single day. Which is key because all those studies you showed at, in your lecture when I saw you present recently was just showing like here's the initial degradation of that layer and then like here's what happens downstream yeah, and, and then it becomes these insane chronic illnesses yeah and and so many unrelated chronic illnesses you know it, the degradation of that that mucosal structure uh which is what we're trying to rebuild with that mega mucosa product that degradation process is what they talk about as being the big driver of depression it's the same thing that drives metabolic syndrome, same thing that dr drives reflux disease. All of these seemingly unrelated diseases that show up in different ways, they're all being driven by the same thing. Yep, it's crazy town. I think next time we have you on, you should just give that presentation. Oh, totally, yes. <laughs> yeah, awesome. mm -hmm. That just will blow people's minds. Next up is uh, Restore Flora. Yeah, um, that, one, there it is. that one is particularly important, um, especially now for you when you're taking antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, we actually created that product for nursing homes initially. We had a request from nursing homes because um, they were, you know, nursing homes use a lot of antibiotics. So the poor people who are residents of nursing homes are always on antibiotics. And then they have all of these GI troubles because of that. There's chronic diarrhea or chronic constipation in nursing homes. Um, they have higher risk of developing opportunistic infections like C. diff. So they, they wanted a probiotic that works well in the presence of antibiotics and has some data to show that it helps restore some of the normal functions of the gut. And that's why we created it. So if you are on an antibiotic or have been recently, then that's a product you want to add in so that we can try to maintain the most normal function of the gut. Yes, yes. And Saccharomyces boulardii is the main ingredient in there, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. it, it is. is uh, it is not a bacterium, you guys. It's a fungus. And so yeah. that's why this is so great to take along with antibiotics because we don't want, we don't want a, uh, a really, we don't want C. difficile, which for, the, for you guys who don't know what that is, it's a really terrible bacterial infection that creates this like biofilm slime that... Yeah. It's an opportunistic, yeah. It's a bad thing to have, and it's really common in hospitals and nursing homes. So, um, and it almost kills people, and it happens fast. Okay. I think I think that's what got my mama, to be honest with you, and lit her Crohn's up. It was. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Because it's in a large bowel, and it triggers massive amounts of inflammation and tissue damage in the gut. And that, uh, if you already have susceptibility to things like Crohn's or colitis, that's going to be the big trigger. Or if you if you have Crohn's or colitis it's going to accelerate the uh, the degeneration of the colonocytes or the colonic lining, gut lining, for sure. Yes, yep, yep. So dosage on the mega mucosa, we didn't cover, but what I do, just I'm not telling anyone what to do, but what I do is I do one scoop twice a day. 
Make yeah. sure you make sure you tolerate it. Work with a healthcare practitioner. I'm not giving you medical advice, you guys. And then on the Saccharomyces boulardii, as and this is all coming from someone who has a pretty finicky gut. So I again go slow and low, and I'll do one capsule twice a day. And I might bump that up to tolerance, but I know what tolerance is, and I am a doctor, so I can, I can, I can advise myself. But you guys need to get <laughs> advice from your own doctors. Um, all right, awesome. So we have just about 15 minutes, and I want to make sure we cover everything. So just giving because this is so good. I could Karan and I could talk all day. Totally, this is so much fun. Can we talk about? So we talked about. Um, oh, I froze. My picture froze. We talked about why LPS is linked to so like virtually every degenerative mm -hmm. and chronic disease. Can we talk about just in general, again, just kind of recap that plus the diversity inside the microbiome and how it applies to fending off viruses optimally? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when we see this with, for example, the COVID-19 infection, um, the most important part of the immune response to COVID-19 is the proliferation of antibody-producing cells, so um, ABCs, as we call them, uh, or APCs. Um, APCs are the critical part of neutralizing this virus and then slowing down the, the rate of replication transmission. Now, uh, antibody-producing cells are triggered by T cells, and then ultimately the cells that make the antibodies are B cells. So those are called T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes. The number one area of, of proliferation for T and B lymphocytes is an area called the Peyer's patches. And the Peyer's patches happen to be found in the ileum of the small intestine. So the small intestine is the factory for these defense cells, if you will. Now, then when you think about, well, why the hell is this important part of the immune system in the digestive tract? Well, because the digestive tract is called a digestive tract, but that's not at all the only thing it does. It's also the largest sampling site for everything that enters your body, right? Whether things are coming in through the oral route or through the nose, it's going to end up in your, in your um, throat and down your gut at some point. And also, it's the biggest opening in orifice to the inside part of your body from the world around you. And so that sampling site is so important. So all of these antigens or things that can trigger an immune response have to go in and then be presented at the antigen presenting sites in the Peyer's patches. And then your immune system looks at that stuff and goes, okay, this is something we need to build tolerance against because it's not harmful. Like it's a soy protein or a peanut protein or whatever it may be. We don't need to react to it. So we're going to build tolerance or it is something scary. This is a virus or a bacteria that we need to pay attention to. And we are going to amplify the immune response to this throughout the body. So anywhere this enters in your system, your body can defend itself, right? So that's why that, that really important immune factory is in the gut. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the stimuli for that immune factory to, continuous, to continuously work comes from the microbes that line it on the gut lining. Because remember, it's an immune factory, but it's covered with trillions of bacteria all the time. It's not just an open, clean, sterilized area um, in, in the random part of your gut that, that has to do all this detection. It is covered with your gut commensal bacteria. And as it turns out, your commensal bacteria play a very important role in alerting your immune system that something new has come in and it needs to pay attention to it. Uh, in fact, with the spores that we work with, there's data that shows that the spores can take antigens or very important proteins that it feels like your immune system needs to recognize and actually shuttle it to the mesenteric lymph nodes from the payers patches. And it can present it to your own lymph lymphatic uh, system and show, hey, this is something you need to pay attention to and mount a response to. So your gut, immune, your gut microbiome and the immune system have a very intimate uh, connection and really close crosstalk. And there's lots and lots of studies that show that if your gut microbiome is dysfunctional, there's no conversation with the, with the immune system and the immune system becomes lost. And it either A, reacts to everything, you lose tolerance, that's when you become allergic and you respond to everything negatively, all, every food that comes in, or B, you lose response and then you, you, you run the risk of not being able to defend yourself when an invading bacteria or virus comes in. 
So that crosstalk is extremely important and it's all dependent on a diverse, healthy microbiome. Yes, yes. So it's important that the flora in there be diverse and interesting. Mm -hmm. It's important that you feed your flora. I always say feed it interesting fiber. That doesn't mean go blast yourself with Metamucil because that might not be great for your gut. I know a lot of people that's not good for, but we do want fibrous foods in our diet and we want a variety of them. We want interesting leafy greens and interesting fibrous vegetables and interesting tubers. Yeah. 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 So a diet low in, in interesting fiber and diverse fiber is a diet is a life that you lead with low and uninteresting biome, which leads to a whole host of health issues. Talk about how quickly, or just quickly mention, how fast does your microbiome shift in relationship to what you're putting in your mouth? Yeah, so it can shift in 24 hours. You can have a measurable change in what your microbiome looks like and what that conversation is like between your microbiome and your immune system in a 24-hour period. In fact, there are studies that show single meals can change it. So for example, if you eat a big greasy hamburger from a fast food restaurant, the blood response to that hamburger is noticeable right away after that meal. And, it, and it's completely different than if you ate, let's say, a nice salad of some sort. You know, so just, just changing uh, a single meal can have a cascading effect on, um, on your blood response and that conversation between your immune system and your microbiome. And I think that's just an important analogy for your audience to understand is that um, a, a constant and interesting conversation, I like the word that you use, interesting, uh, that constant and interesting conversation between the microbiome and your immune system is what keeps your immune system functioning. And remember, the immune system is the only system in your body designed to defend you. Um, and so that conversation has to be maintained, has to be interesting, has to be uh, perpetuated every single day. The moment your microbiome starts to falter, becomes less diverse, less functional, that conversation suffers and your, your whole system starts to suffer. Yes. So it starts with food, an interesting diet that is not the same every single day and full of, you know, my sweet, sweet boyfriend has been cooking for me every night. But last night I had to say, babe, I can't have potatoes every night. (laughs) (laughs) This won't last long. (laughs) And I won't look like this very long. (laughs) I keep eating potatoes every night. So, um, but you need an interesting diet to Mm -hmm. just keep keep around and keep an interesting biome interested in staying there. Like that's how I look at it. Like the dudes, your acromantia, which we can't get into, but every time I hear that, I, I, I joke with Karan, every time I hear that, I think of like, it sounds like a death metal band out of, (laughs) out of Scandinavia. So that's my, that's my death metal band and Karan's in the band because, but (laughs) (laughs) and Brendan Vermeer's uh, acromantia is a, is an organism we want and it wants interesting food. Right. And then (laughs) they have interesting conversations with your immune system and your immune system stays interested. It doesn't shut off and it doesn't go rogue. Yep, that's, that's the key. Yeah. And, you know, and that's one of the things that really excited us about the spores initially, because our whole focus when we got into this space was how can we develop things that help modulate that immune, uh, that, that microbiome and make the microbiome more interesting? Because at the end of the day, what tends to happen with our kind of monotone diets, because, you know, a lot of people in the Western world stick to like six different types of foods. Um, you know, the, so we've kind of really reduced what the, the variety of things that we eat, um, the, the toxic world that we're in, we're all exposed to Roundup and chlorine and all of these antimicrobials all the time. And so, you know, as all of that starts to happen, what you tend to get is a microbiome that loses that diversity and that interestingness and the functionality and the capability. So we started thinking, okay, are there bacteria that'll come in and start to reorchestrate the population and go, you are overgrown, you need to come down, you are underrepresented, you need to go up and start modulating that population. And sure enough, that's what the spores do, um, you know, with the, with the, that are found in the megaspore. And that's why there's so much utility to it. We have done studies now, um, of course, on leaky gut, which is what we started. You know, we've done studies on triglycerides, on rheumatoid arthritis, on acne, um, on, uh, we're working on one on depression right now. So all of these variety of things we can study with a single probiotic because we come to find out 
that the way it's modulating the microbiome is it's increasing the diversity and making it more interesting. When you do that, it helps with all kinds of conditions. Um, so, you know, it, it, it really speaks to where the core problems are in our system and it comes down to the gut. Yep. A hundred percent. That, that's a, that is a beautiful place to end because mm -hmm. I think that's it. That's a hundred percent. We, in our naturopathic tenants, we have seven of them. And I always said eight should be, you know, treat the gut first because, and I do musculoskeletal medicine and I have seen significant changes on x-ray just by treating the gut. And three months later, somebody's x-rays look totally different. So I, right? yeah, yep. we can leave it with that. So you guys, if you're interested in grabbing these products, I want to give you my link. It's bit.ly forward slash Dr. Tina microbiome, Dr. Tina microbiome, all, all together as one word bit.ly. You can also go to painfreestrongradio.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page where you can access the webinar that Karan and I did on leaky gut and pain, which for any of you healthcare practitioners, I would highly suggest it. And you will be dropped to a screen where you can uh, link through and buy the product as well. If you're a practitioner, there's a button there to start a practitioner account. And if you're the general public, there's a button there. It says patient portal, but you log in and you can purchase these products. And we'll have all this information on the podcast page at painfreestrongradio.com. And I will make sure to share with you what my protocol is personally. And I will find out if our microbiome labs has anything to contribute to that <laughs> during this time. And uh, thank you so much, Karan, for being here. It's such a pleasure always. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And um, this is a, an interesting side effect of the pandemic. I get to hang out with you more. So I know. It's great. So, yeah. Silver linings. You stay well, okay? You as well. Thank okay, you. Bye. You've been listening to Pain-Free and Strong Radio with Dr. Tina Moore. Dr. Tina offers a wide range of online courses for both physicians and to the public. To learn more or to work with her as a patient, visit her online at www.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A dot com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.